Welcome to Let's Talk FCA, presented by Kroll & Mooring, bringing you the latest developments with the False Claims Act. Before we get into the meat of today's podcast, listeners may have observed that this podcast went on a bit of a hiatus and that my voice is a bit deeper than the voices of my predecessors. Your previous hosts, Mana and Jacinta, have both moved on to different phases of their lives and careers, and they were kind enough to bequeath this podcast to me, Michael Shaheen. I am a partner in Kroll's White Collar and Healthcare Groups, and my practice focuses on the False Claims Act. Prior to coming to Kroll, I spent almost seven years in the civil fraud section of the Department of Justice, where I prosecuted False Claims Act, anti-kickback statute, and Stark Law cases. I am so grateful to Mana and Jacinta for building this platform, and I very much hope that I can carry the torch in their absence. And with that said, today's podcast is part one of a discussion about the Department of Justice's authority to dismiss key TAM complaints brought by relators. My guest today is Tully McLaughlin. Tully is a partner in the Government Contracts Group in Washington, D.C., and a co-chair of mine in the False Claims Act practice. Tully's practice also focuses on False Claims Act investigations and litigation, particularly trial and appellate work, as well as litigation of a variety of complex claims, disputes, and recovery matters. Tully conducts internal investigations and represents clients in government investigations who are facing fraud and False Claims Act allegations. Welcome to the pod, Tully. Thanks for having me, Michael. Our topic today is the government's authority to dismiss False Claims Act lawsuits. For those FCA nerds out there, this has become a hot button issue in the past few years with some pretty heavy hitters going at it. But before we get to this internecine conflict between two branches of our government, can you set the stage for us and give the listeners a quick explanation of the government's authority to dismiss False Claims Act lawsuits? Sure. So the False Claims Act permits a relator to file a QTAM lawsuit on behalf of the government and uh, offers significant incentives for doing so, including a share of up to 30% in some cases of any recovery, as well as reasonable attorney's fees. However, under the statute, the government remains the real party in interest and maintains the power to dismiss a key TAM action that has been brought, notwithstanding the objections of the person initiating the action, if that person has been notified by the government of the filing of the motion, and the court has provided the person with an opportunity for a hearing on the motion. And I'm quoting, of course, from the act there. So I hear in your response uh, buzzwords like real party and interest and maintains the power to dismiss, notwithstanding the relator's objection. And I think to myself that the government's authority here is relatively unchecked. Is that a fair conclusion? Well, the short answer is it depends on which circuit you're in. The implications of this provision have resulted in uh, a longstanding circuit split regarding the extent of DOJ's authority most notably between what has been referred to as the unfettered discretion test that the DC circuit has held should be given to DOJ versus the ninth circuit's requirement, which has also been adopted by the 10th circuit, that DOJ need only demonstrate a valid purpose and rational relation between that purpose and the requested dismissal. And so where do the other circuits fall in this debate? Well, last year, the seventh circuit opted to weigh in but rather than side with one or the other of the Ninth Circuit or DC Circuit tests, it charted a third path, stating that each of the existing tests misunderstood the government's rights and obligations under the False Claims Act. That being said, the Seventh Circuit's new test, which likens the government's dismissal authority to that afforded a party plaintiff under Rule 41, is just about as deferential to the government's uh, whim as the SWIFT standard. 
As to the other circuits, they haven't really felt the need to take a side, so they, they haven't weighed in. And likely, in my view, for uh, three reasons. One, these cases really just don't come up that often, much to defendants' dismay, to be sure. Two, courts presented with the few cases that do come up are usually able to conclude that the government has met its burden under either of the existing standards from the circuits, which obviates the need to take a side as to which tests should govern. And that ties into reason number three, which is that the government itself, particularly in the last several years, has taken it upon itself to follow the more stringent requirements of the Ninth and Tenth Circuits by always offering a rationale in its motions to dismiss. In a memo released to the public that has become known as the Granston Memo from 2018, DOJ actually set forth seven non-exhaustive factors that inform any dismissal decision. And those are one, is the relator's legal theory inherently defective or, the, or are the factual allegations frivolous? Two, does the relator bring any useful information to the investigation? Three, does the KETAM interfere with established government policies or practices? Four, does the KETAM undermine DOJ's litigation prerogatives? Five, would dismissal safeguard classified information? Six, would the expected costs of the litigation exceed the expected gains? And seven, is the relator creating egregious procedural problems? The government's consideration and application of these factors is no different than identifying whether a valid governmental purpose exists that is rationally related to dismissal of a given KETAM. And DOJ has consistently articulated some combination of these factors in support of its motions to dismiss since publication of the Granston Memo, and in a number of cases even before that. Most often, Again, it's some combination, um, usually of lack of merit and the cost and burden upon the government of having the case proceed, though certainly other factors come into play at times, such as interference with the agency's policy or practice, risks associated with classified information, and more. So regardless of where the restraints come from, the critical takeaway, though, is that the government is restrained and has been transparent about the reasoning behind moving to dismiss. So the government arguably has this unfettered power to dismiss its own cases, but my old boss, Michael Granston, essentially imposes upon the government um, the, the test from the Ninth Circuit. And so now whenever the government moves to dismiss a KETAM case, it provides a valid purpose and a rational relation between that purpose and the requested dismissal. And I want to break down some of those criteria because they seem to make a lot of sense to me. And so factor one is that the case is inherently defective, right? Yes. So, so in essence, if the relator cannot make out a legitimate False Claims Act case and uh, the allegations or the allegations are ridiculous on their face, well, that would be grounds for DOJ to move to dismiss. Now, DOJ regularly relies on this factor, at least in part, in the motions that it has filed. That being said, I think it's safe to conclude that there are many defective cases that go unchecked by DOJ's dismissal authority. Rather, DOJ often declining to intervene is the, is the course that it's taken when a complaint isn't well pleaded or is otherwise just without merit. And then there's the, would the expected cost of the litigation exceed the expected gains? That also seems pretty reasonable to me. I would agree with that. For instance, if the case is only alleging a small amount in false claims, but discovery for the case covers multiple individuals and large swaths of documents, it hardly makes sense for the government to let it proceed. 
And remember, the costs are not just those of DOJ to monitor the litigation, but of the agency that is involved, and sometimes more than one agency, from responding to discovery requests from both sides, not just the defendant, presenting witnesses for deposition, for trial, and more. So just a table set, DOJ arguably has unfettered discretion to dismiss a case for any reason, but nevertheless has taken it upon itself to fetter that discretion with some pretty reasonable criteria. So where's the controversy? Well, most recently, the controversy is coming from Senator Chuck Grassley with support, as you can expect, from the Relators Bar. Senator Grassley even proposed legislation just a few months ago intended to curb the government's authority to dismiss KETAM lawsuits, although it hasn't passed. Senator Grassley has maintained that allowing the government unfettered authority to dismiss KETAM actions will interfere with other policies, undermine government transparency, and deter relators from bringing claims that do have merit. Just so our listeners have this straight, on the one hand, you've got Michael Granston and DOJ curbing their own discretion, using the authority only for frivolous claims or for claims that run contrary to government policies, and doing so in a transparent way. And then on the other hand, you've got Senator Grassley saying that reform is necessary to curb government excess, to protect government policies, to ensure transparency, and to protect relators that bring merited claims. Isn't the government doing precisely what Senator Grassley wants? Well, in my view, I think that's a fair interpretation. Is it perhaps the case then that despite the criteria articulated in the Granson memo that the government is actually failing to adhere to that criteria and then dismissing cases that it should be bringing? Not at all. As we've already discussed, the government is articulating a credible rationale for dismissing these cases. In recent motions to dismiss, the government typically details the extensive investigation that led to its conclusion that the relator's allegations are lacking. It described the massive resource burden expected or already undertaken to monitor the litigation, to respond to discovery from the parties and more. Cases subject to government motions to dismiss, as we also discussed, also defend against interference with important government policies or programs. For example, the government has moved to dismiss cases that center around a legal issue that would interfere with its foreign policies. For instance, whether the Palestinian Authority should be considered a terrorist entity or the government's longstanding interpretation that certain industry activity is, quote, appropriate and beneficial. DOJ is certainly adhering to the stated criteria, and it's articulating that logic in its filings. Add to that that what is really significant about the number of DOJ-initiated dismissals over the past few years is not how many there have been, but really how few. DOJ has sought to dismiss some 50 KETAMs in the three years following the release of the 2018 Granston Memo, with a mere six cases dismissed by DOJ last year, 2020. In that same time, we've seen roughly 1,900 new KETAM actions filed and thousands more proceeding along ahead of that. It's hard for me to give credence to complaints about government excess when DOJ is dismissing only roughly 2% of the cases that are filed each year particularly when one considers that in most of these cases, DOJ spent months, if not years, investigating the relator's allegations and confirming that there was little or no legal or factual support for the claims. All that said, perhaps where all this noise is coming from is that out of the few cases that DOJ does move to dismiss, there have been a couple in which DOJ's motion has not come until after it declined to intervene and relator's counsel has spent some time litigating the case in discovery or perhaps even beyond. 
I think it's understandable for the Relators Bar to be upset in those very few and rare circumstances. Whether that should change the outcome is a separate question, though. So then where do we stand on this bizarre internecine war? Well, Senator Grassley, in my view, should, if anything, be championing the government's authority and pushing DOJ to dismiss more frivolous cases, as well as key TAMs that the government has reasonably determined are not in its interest to pursue. Wielded in that kind of a measured way, DOJ's dismissal authority does not deter relators from bringing claims that have merit. Rather, it deters them from bringing claims that do not have merit, which is precisely the balance that the key TAM provisions of the False Claims Act are meant to strike. Moreover, in dismissing frivolous claims, the government will have more resources to investigate and litigate the allegations in cases that do have merit, and the courts will have more resources to adjudicate those claims. So it's simple in the end. The government should dismiss more frivolous claims because doing so will further government policies by preserving government resources and emboldening relators with viable claims to file key TAMs. So how's that for our first podcast? The gauntlet has been thrown, Senator Grassley, and we hope and expect that you will accept our challenge by coming on the Let's Talk FCA podcast. While we're hopeful that Senator Grassley will join us for part two of this discussion, if he, for any reason, is unable to make it, I will be talking about my own experiences at DOJ using the authority to dismiss frivolous KETAM complaints. In the meantime, if listeners have any follow-up questions on this topic, please feel free to reach out to me at 202 508-8766 or Tully at 202-624-2628. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time on Let's Talk FCA. Let's Talk FCA is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash letstalkfca. 